0: Hey guys, I am Caleb Giddings. And I'm Keith Finch. And you are watching or listening to Gunday Brunch here on the Gat Daily YouTube channel or Spotify or iTunes. And I would like to thank our sponsors for supporting this episode and all of our tomfoolery. And again, if you're watching, you can see a banner for them now. Thank you, sponsors. Yay money. Thank you very much. All right, so if you clicked on this because of the obviously clickbaity headline, uh, today we are talking about the best US service rifle that isn't an M4 or M16 variant, because Keith and I both agree that the M4 slash M16 variants are the best family of service rifles the United States has ever fielded. They are. That's an ob- that's an objective fact. They work the best. <laughs> they work the best. They've killed more people than cancer. Uh, and they work really, really great when you don't screw with them in their various, uh, like the 16 inch ish M4 configuration is really, really great. And the, uh, you know, M16 configuration
1: also really, really great. The 20 inch musket long boy is also a very great rifle. They're very, they're very good at what they do. Did you see that meme that went around uh, about this week?
0: It was an old video of Eugene Stoner mocking the forward assist.
1: Yes, yes. That was <laughs> so I, you guys, I was, delight, I was delighted with that. Like he loads it and then he deliberately looks down at the rifle, looks at the camera, and just goes nyah, 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 smashes Sorry. it several times, just in the mocking fashion, like. This doesn't need to be here. Like while making hard eye contact
0: with yes. the camera, he's hitting the forward assist. Like, this is the dumbest thing that someone put on my otherwise perfect rifle. And he's yeah. right, I agree. I think the forward assist is stupid. I think my before we get into the uh the actual meat of this, where we talk about rifles that like aren't the M16 and M4 variants, my favorite variant and one that's very rare, especially in clone builds is the GAU-5P slash A. I forget all of the letters, but it was the Air Force's, it's basically an XM-177. So if you guys know like the Bush, the, the Shorty Carbine, the Air Force's version of that, they actually got before the XM-177 existed. So the GAU-5A or P or whatever. GAU stands for Gun Aircraft Unit because that's, they had to buy it and pretend it was for airplanes. Um yeah. But basically, it was a shorty. Uh, G- it was a shorty XM177, but without the forward assist. And Troy made a repro of that a few years ago, and I had one, and it was really, really great. And I sold it because I don't really shoot rifles a lot. And now I go on GunBroker
1: every now and then to look
0: for one, and it doesn't exist, and like it's impossible to find. And when you do find, it's like three
1: grand, and I'm like. Sad, sad, Caleb. Some I, the gun I also they they uh. I also remember they recently redid the GAU five. They brought it back as a, a survival kit gun, and it now has one of the takedown assemblies mm-hmm. with it, where you can put it. Uh, you put the barrel on and the gas system on as one unit, so it's very very compact, which is one of the reasons the GAU five. Uh, was picked out in the configuration was, is it was small. You could put it in an aircraft without adding A, a lot of weight or B taking up a lot of space that is needed for other things you need to put in an aircraft. Yeah. And so, the uh, two takedown one is really cool. So fun facts about that one. Um,
0: because i actually have uh, it's an air force weapon system and i've actually seen them in the wild the neat thing about it is that whole gun was funded through uh, commercial off-the-shelf purchases or mm-hmm. we call cots uh and it wasn't like it didn't go and the whole reason why they wanted and there's like every time people see one they're like oh well why does it do you have this feature and why doesn't it have an optic why does it just have iron sights and all that and i'll tell you why is because that gun was designed in its broken apart bit to fit in the box under the ejection seat in a modern fighter, right? And this box has to have a bunch of other stuff in it. It's got to have a radio. It's got to have some other survival gear. And so to get that carbine to fit, along with all of the other goodies that go in this very small bit of real estate, they're like, all right, you know what? Fuck an optic. And that's why it's got a pistol grip that
1: folds. It's a survival rifle, guys. This is not... This is not the the Goon Squad rifle. This is the I'm fucked rifle. Right. This is the I ejected out of an F-16 over
0: Bosnia and I would like to have something other than a shitty little pistol. Not that, Uh you know, our pistols suck, but, like, I would like... Me personally, if I ejected in hostile territory, I would much rather have a uh, 5.56 five, short boy than an M9. And I love the M9. Yep. Please give yeah.
1: me the car. M9 is great. M17, very good pistols. There's still pistols in a situation where I want a rifle. I want a rifle and I want 30-round mags, baby.
0: Um, yep. So anyway, all right, let's get down to this one because, you know, everybody's no, always the- like, yeah, let's get off the M16s nuts because it's the best service rifle uh, that the U.S. has ever fielded. Um, <laughs> So we're talking about the best service rifle uh, that isn't the M16. And we both have opinions about this. And I, of course, have picked a contrarian opinion and I have no idea what you've
1: picked. So let's, you go first. All right. Well, I'm, I'm while not going to uh, go with the M16, I am going to go with the M16's designer. My favorite ser- for service weapon uh, that was not an M16 is the Stoner 63. Wait, did we ever actually issue the Stoner sixty three? We did to the to uh, some United States Marines and the SEALs. It was in service from sixty three to eighty three. We okay. didn't have a lot of them. We did not have a lot of them, but we had some of them. And the reason I like it is very simple. It was our first attempt at a Lego set gun that could do everything. Oh yeah. The 63 is real cool. It had a reversible receiver. So if you put the receiver one way up, it was a rifle. And if you put the this receiver another way up, it was a light machine gun. So this thing could play saw or regular rifle or carbine. You could have a short barrel on it, longer barrel on it. Uh, there were a couple weird variations, like a top feed magazine light machine gun configuration that was like, Hey, we needed to get rid of that after the, uh, after the end fields in World War II, we don't need top feed machine guns anymore. Let's just use, you know, regular ones. Um, it, it was just a really cool, and I think the most popular variant of it was the light machine gun uh, variant configuration, uh, which um, could use 150 round in a 150-round belt in a drum that sat underneath it and was just a good, nice squad support weapon, but you also had a nice shortened carbine version and you had a, a longer rifle version. And if I recall correctly, this thing could use um, folding stocks and a couple of other things that were fairly new to service weapons in the 60s uh, through the 80s, just because of how this system went together. I'm not 100% certain on the, uh, the folding stock, but like the 63A, um, it, it was a very cool weapon. It ran on on uh, a piston uh, piston system. It's gas system. Different positions. It had adjustable gas. It had all the cool things that we like on very very modern rifles. And it did it in '63. And it was this modular system that the US keeps chasing every now and then. And then mm-hmm. go those. Well, actually, we'd rather not because it's it's hard it's easier to purpose build a system and then purpose build another system and then just pick up the one you need as opposed to here Mr. Armorer I need this made into the light machine gun configuration please do that while you also doing regular inventory and ordering parts and this and that and that and this and this and that and by the way is your sharp class up to date and so it just became more practical to use purpose-built systems as opposed to a modular configure system. But this thing had a rifle variant, a carbine, an automatic rifle, light machine gun, medium fixed machine gun, a fixed machine gun. What's up? Like, Oh, like a, a vehicle mount. And then a survival rifle mode. So this thing had three, four, eight different modes. It was a transformer, kind of cool.
0: Robots in
1: disguise. Yes. And I actually, uh, I went to and wandered over to Robinson Armaments booth because um, Alexander Robinson got some of these leftover kits and put them together into the rifle configuration. And they're really cool. I mean, it's all the, it's all the stamped uh, rifle metal goodness that you expect out of the 60s rifles. And it's, it's just nice. It's fun. So that's my favorite. The Stoner 63 is my favorite. So I would say, uh, I agree with all of that. I didn't know,
0: Yeah, I'm going to be very honest. Everybody who's listening to this knows that I'm not a rifle nerd. So it should not come to a surprise of any of you that I was... Per, barely peripherally aware of the existence of the stoner 63 before this conversation and like uh if you were watching my screen i was literally googling it and i'm like
1: oh okay cool oh neato oh, um, I, I had the page up too just fyi so i didn't miss a variant because i'm like this thing was the lego set before we invented like the m-lock put everything on lego set that we did with the m4 SOT mod kits like we did this and then we did it again because now we have optics and lights and lasers.
0: So I am going to uh, say that the best service rifle, so I'm, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction with that, because, and I actually I actually put some thought into this, and I don't know, maybe contrarian opinion is the right way to describe this, but I think that the best service rifle that was not uh, an M16 variant, to find one that is as good. And I you could I could actually make a case that this one was better than the M16 because of the fact that it was creating ripples in U.S. military procurement for a hundred years after it was used as the Springfield Model 1861 rifle musket, which was the most commonly used long arm in the Union Army during the Civil War. And the reason why this gun is so influential is a number of things. So It was, so it wasn't, interestingly enough, it wasn't as uh, capable of fine accuracy as the um, rifle muskets fielded by the Confederate Army of the time, because the sights that it had were designed for mass production. And that was one of the things that made this rifle interesting was it was the first rifle that was designed from the ground up for mass production. It was designed to be easy to make, Easy to push into service and easy for troops to operate. And it was very accurate. And obviously, you know, for a uh, muzzle loader, it was very reliable. But the 1861 Springfield had ripples that spread all the way through military procurement up until Vietnam because it was the it after the Civil War, after it you know was the most common rifle used during the Civil War by the Union. It became the basis for the early trapdoor uh, for the early cartridge conversions to breech loaders. It was the basis for the uh, eventual trapdoor Springfield's the eighteen seventy one and the eighteen eighty four, and the Army, as we've talked about
1: in other episodes, really really hates changing things. And you see that with the- That's why we got a hundred years to get to 6.8 millimeter. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And that's why like you go from the trapdoor spring, you go from a, you know, 58 caliber muzzle loader to a trapdoor Springfield to a slightly upgraded trapdoor Springfield to, you know, uh, the Craig Jorgensen to the uh, 1903. Like there is a direct lineage of service rifles and you can see them all sort of adhering to the same basic concept of rifle of uh, of of a of how a rifleman should operate that starts in the Civil War when it starts with the 1861. Because back then, you know, the difference between ri- a rifle and an artillery piece was the rifle shot a smaller round. The ranges of your rifle and your artillery piece in the
1: 1860s and even up to the 1870s were very, very similar. So you had these- That's why you had lines of cannon sitting on the sidelines at about the same distance as your infantry until your infantry closed and fought hand to hand. And what's
0: interesting too about the 61 is that with the Civil War, is where you start to see the first breakdown uh, in modern combat of that hand fighting. Because the 61 was so accurate at such long ranges, you know, you would have massed walls of rifle fire engaging formations at 500 meters, which is like walking into a buzzsaw. You know, there's very interesting historical accounts of the time that if you remove words like, if you remove mentions of the specific technology uh depictions of some of the combat in the Civil War reads very similarly to depictions of combat in World War I. It was the first time you had truly mass-produced rifles truly, and you had these you know mass formations of rifle fire and you had you know effective really, truly effective artillery uh, that you could aim because the 1861 was rifled. It was actually accurate. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't like you know, the effective range of a musket, A true smoothbore musket is about fifty yards. The effective range of a Springfield eighteen sixty one is five hundred yards. That's a
1: big difference. And then you saw a factor of ten on your effective range. And if and if you look at rifles today, we're still using five hundred yards as like that's that's a hard limit for soldiers with eyes. Mm -hmm. Like it's very difficult without. Um, mechanical intervention to be reasonably or effectively accurate further than that. Uh, Because A, you can't see it and B, all the micro errors in shooting a rifle, no matter how good it is, uh, don't really change the equation all that much. It's just you're, you're at the extreme edges of what it is to be fairly effective and have those percentages that say, Hey, we're still accurate. We're still effective on target.
0: Yeah. So I think that the, I and what's funny is, you know, this conversation is one that, you you know,
1: we're not like arguing here. We just think both of these rifles and these weapon systems are really cool. And I, I would completely agree that the 1861, for all the reasons you listed is a very cool service rifle and arguably one of the best service rifles that aren't the m16 series weapon systems because of how well it shaped modern military logistics from procurement on forward whereas mine i took i took the hipster path yours is cool yours I is took, mine's just cool and it got used by like a few hundred guys in vietnam they had their lego machine gun like now the real contrary opinion would have been to say that the best American service rifle
0: is the AK-47 because we do actually maintain a stock of AK-47s, yes, which we do. Technically makes them American service rifles. <laughs> so <laughs> you know that's. That's the real cut. Oh, the best American rifles and AK forty
1: seven. AK forty seven. They're in inventory, ladies and gentlemen. They are in inventory.
0: I half expect uh, somebody to say that in the comments. Like they're going to listen to the first half of this episode, and then I'm going to get, and then they're going to be like, "What about the AKs that we have for special operations?"
1: I'm like, "Shut up." Yep. Yes, we have those. Um, I I know I know some are kept for special operations, but I also know that commercial off the shelf or other procurements can grab as needed because mm. they, they have that budget flexibility uh um, for op four and shit but too. They, they use them for op four they use them for demo like the most the most i see ak's come out of inventories because they are spread out guys they're spread out across the nation so an armory might have like two to four of them uh, for a station, because they're used for like foreign we- foreign weapon familiarization and everything like that, so that you can take a group of soldiers who barely know how to shoot the M4 and M16 because boot camp doesn't teach that anymore, apparently. Um, and then you you take them over and you show them this ak-47 this how this work this is where your charging handles at and everything like that and depending on you know the grade of your instructor or the ncos who pulled it or whatnot they might get a decent education on the ak or it might be like ak Mm -hmm. sand people noises they're
0: tuscan raiders you can't use that word Oh man. But all right, guys. So that's it for this week's episode. Uh if you guys have a service rifle that you think is better than either of these or cooler or more interesting, not the AK-47, obviously. We uh, that. yeah. Uh I almost made a case for the M2 carbine because a uh, full auto M1 carbine is the tightest shit in the world. Oh god, it's, it's
1: that's it. The M1 know, carbine is always a neat little little gun, and I understand where it existed in uh Impractical speaking with the military force, but then <laughs> the matter used. Are like, what uh, if M1s? we made it's happy switch? There are used M2 carbines,
0: fully transferable, uh, that yep. are going for like used Mazda Miata prices right now, so like yeah. 10 to 15 grand. And I'm like, if I, I no joke, if I had 15 grand of fuck you money, I would have an M2, I would 100, an yes. and I would take that thing to the range and just go, hang on one second, yep. click. <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) that would be it all right guys so that's really it for this episode uh m2 carbines are cool thank you everybody for uh watching and listening and supporting the show and uh make sure you like share subscribe do all those fun youtube actions later